Well, as we begin uh, this series, Living Church, will you take your Bibles and let's go right to the very beginning of God's story, right to the very first verses in the whole Bible. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And as God's story begins, just these simple words start the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Right from the very start, the first words are saying that there is God. God who was before all things. God who is the Alpha. God who always was in the beginning. And this God is the creator, the creator of the heavens, all the things that we can see and the earth, all, all the things we can see in the earth and the heavens, the, the, everything else that there is. And God reveals himself in that very first verse. And then we keep reading and we read and we see, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in the first verse, we see God, the creator, the father of creation. And we see that he's creating in the first verse. Then in the second verse, we see God, the spirit, God, the spirit. And he's, what's he doing there? kind of hovering, you know, different to what God the Creator is doing, but God the Spirit is at work hovering over the water. So we immediately see that this one God has two persons, God the Creator, God the Father, and God the Spirit is working in a different way. And in the next verse we keep reading and we see, and God said, the word of God spoken, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, with powerful words, creation came into being. It reminds me when we read the opening verses of John chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John describes the Word as Jesus Christ come amongst us. So here in the very first three verses, God, the word which is spoken right through Genesis, first chapters of Genesis, says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The word of God is right there in creation. So what we see in these first three verses is that God is one God in three persons. And God is in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, perfect love, perfect community, right at the very start of Genesis. And what would a God who is community, where love is shared in diversity amongst the Godhead, the, the one God, what, what would he want for his creation? where he, he would create people so they can experience the kind of community that he has in the Godhead. And so we see that in uh, verse 26 of, of Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us, not let me, let us, let us three in one God, make man in our image, 
in our likeness. Now, God can't create God, so this is not, he, he, this is not God, another God he's making. No, this is someone who's like God, who's in God's image that he makes. And so he forms mankind in the likeness of God. So he can relate to him. So he can experience community with God. And so God makes Adam. And over in chapter 2, you see that God, in, in verse 21, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found because God had made man, but on his own in relationship to God was not community. So what he did was he took Adam and he put him to sleep and he took from Adam and he created Eve from Adam. And then it says at the end of chapter 2, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. God, God of community, creates in his likeness people that would know him and love him and know one another, and share in community amongst one another. That is a story of creation. And, you know, this would be a very short book (laughs) if we finished there. But chapter 3 explains how the fall came about. Adam and Eve, who knew God and perfect relationship with him and, and had a oneness with God, in chapter 3, decided that they would be, wanted to become like God and they disobeyed God and they took the fruit and they sinned and they said, we want our own way. And immediately the community was shattered. The oneness was broken and sin came in. And before, as soon as that happens, they start blaming one another. They start accusing one another. And very shortly, we see murder. We see hatred. We see violence coming right in. And it's the story that continues right through the pages of Scripture. Community has been broken. Sin has entered the world. Now, you notice that sin has its immediate effects uh, on the earth. And there's a brokenness that is marked right through the pages. But God, instead of saying, well, I gave you a chance and now you've turned your back on me and that's it and writing you off, God is not like that. God is love. God is merciful. God is... will not have his creation just like that. He wants to have community with them. So he continues and he sets about redeeming his people. God is a God of redemption. And so he sets about restoring relationship with his people. And he comes to one man in Genesis chapter 12, Abram. Abram, father of one. And he comes to him and he says, Abram, I want to call you Abraham, fathers of many. And he says in those first few verses, he says, I, I want to make you into a nation. I want to make your name great. I want to bless you. And I want to call out a people to myself. And so God, through Abraham, began a group of people who would be called the people of God who would respond to God by faith. And as they obeyed and as they followed him, things went well for them. But out of 10, when you think of the people of God, what, what score would you give them for their faithfulness and obedience to God? 
They didn't do too well, did they? And, and, and yet God kept on pursuing them, wanting to have community with them. He sent Moses to rescue them out of captivity in Egypt. He sent Moses to give them the law so that they would know uh, how to live and how to respond in relationship to God. He he kept sending to them uh, priests, prophets. He sent to them judges. He sent kings, all saying, I want to have relationship with you. And when right down through the ages, this continued to occur finally. He sent his only son one uh, dark night in Bethlehem. A young uh, lady gave birth to the son of God. God in the flesh came and dwelt among us. God had come to restore humanity, to create a new community where people would know God would be forgiven and live with him again. Well, uh, Jesus was on earth. He taught his disciples. He drew to himself 12, you know, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said, you know, this is a new community I'm creating. And he taught them and he trained them and he showed them and he did miracles and he told them about who he was. And while he was on earth, he said that he was preparing a, a new community, a place that he called the church. The church. Just a simple word, the church, in the Greek is just this word, ecclesia. Ecclesia. And uh, what happens is the word comes from a verb, kaleo. And the verb means to call out, to call, to call. So if I was to just call to someone up the back, hello up the back there, that's calling. And then when you put kaleo, the proposition ek at the front, it means to call out, to call out. And then when you call it a noun and name it, it's the called out ones. So the church, the word for the church were the called out ones, the ones who were called out, gathered, assembled. And Jesus really gave us insight into what, how he would call out people to become part of his church, his new community that he was building. This is where we get what, how Jesus is going to build this church and on what basis we could become a part of it, on what basis people could become a part of it. Why don't you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 16 and verses 15 to 18. Matthew 16 and verses 15 to 18. Well, Jesus was walking along the road to Caesarea Philippi. He had his disciples with him and he asked them, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, you know, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my 
church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. uh, The insight that this gives to what the church was is is huge for us because Peter's response uh, was, was simply this, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Now, Christ in Hebrews means Messiah or sent one. You are the sent one, the one that God is sending to fulfill the promises, to restore the kingdom, to usher in this new community. So Peter had understood that Jesus was sent from God and he was the Messiah and he was Christ. He understood Christ's mission on the earth. And the second thing that he says, you're the son of God. You are the one who is uniquely related to the Father. You are the son of God, the Father. And you are also God in the flesh. Now, this declaration of Peter, Jesus simply says to him as he says that, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And he says, virtually he's saying, "You're, you're exactly right. And then he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, there's lots of uh, different churches have come down on different sides of this. The Catholic Church really believed that what Jesus was saying here, that on Peter the church would be built. On the actual person of Peter, uh, he would be the one that the church would be built on. And then, then after Peter, there would be a succession of people that would be sent down through the ages who would be like the Pope figure to lead the church and therefore the authority of the church is based on the authenticity of its leader who is the Pope. But we look at this and say, you know what? When Jesus says, you are Peter, you are a rock and on this declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've understood his mission You've understood who I am, that I'm the Messiah, I'm the sent one. You've understood that I'm the son of God, God in the flesh. And it's on this confession, on this declaration, you're the first one to realise this. And because on that declaration, I will build my church. Once you notice, the first thing is that the church is built on the declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord the Saviour, the one in only whom sin can be forgiven and new life received. So you think, is the church a building? No, we call the building that houses the people of God the church, but the church are those who declare their faith in Jesus Christ and live in relationship with him. Second thing I want you to know from this verse, the church is built on its pastors? No. Deacons? No. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Who builds the church? Christ builds the church. See, Jesus said here, 
This was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. God is drawing to himself, called out, gathered, assembled ones to be together as they respond by faith in Jesus Christ. So the fact that you're here is not because you, uh, had, you've responded to God working and you've responded to Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith in him, then you are part of God's church. It's not a man-made thing. It's God's work. Christ is building his church. Another thing I just want you to notice out of this passage is it says, and I tell you that you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That death, that the end, that darkness, that anything will not Overcome. You know, in the NRSV it says that the gates of hell would not prevail. The gates of hell would not conquer, as the New Living Translation would not overpower it, the New American Bible. And, and what it's saying is that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ become part of the called out ecclesia. And even death is not the end to you. You will never die if you're part of God's living church. And nothing can overcome it. It's the church, the called out ones with faith in Jesus Christ, the ones that are brought together through the work of the Father drawing them through Christ. So Christ is the cornerstone on which we're built, faith in him. And those who have faith in him will live forever, hence the church will last forever. So when did all this begin? Like Jesus said, I will build my church. When when did we see this starting to really unfold? I think if you look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 to 4, come and have a look in that very first early part. It says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and were filled and and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Jesus had come to earth. He'd finished his work of salvation in dying on the cross and taking upon himself the sins of the world. He'd conquered death by rising again on the third day. And he said to his disciples, wait, wait until I send the Spirit. And here, on this this day of Pentecost, God came in an incredible way through the power of his Holy Spirit on his people and all those who believed were filled with God's spirit and his church was born. I think what's interesting as you, as you look at, at what happened that day is the response. Um, in Acts, what happened, when that happened, people started gathering and started wondering what's going on. And Peter got up and he preached the gospel. 
He told them about what God had been doing right through the ages and he told them who Jesus was. The one they had crucified, the one they had put to death was now risen and he's Lord of all. And when he had finished preaching to them, Acts 2, 37 and 38, this is what it said. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then down to 41 it says, Those who accepted this message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number this day. Wow, what a beginning. God comes, confirms that Jesus was who he said he was. He sends his Holy Spirit and those who believe are filled with his Holy Spirit and the church, 3,000, added to that number that day. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen the way they acted and, and how they responded and, and, and the way in which they, they, they just obeyed and worshipped God and loved one another? Well, do you know what? We get an insight into that. We get to see just in these next verses what that early church was like. Keep reading at Acts 2, 42 to 48. This is what it says. In this new community now, the church that Jesus said he would build, that God had been longing to restore to his people. This is what we see. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number Daily, those who were being saved. What a picture of community. People looking out for one another's needs. People hanging off the words of God, reading the scriptures, studying, people praying, people having an awe and sense of wonder that God would work in their midst. People sharing what they had, breaking bread, worshipping together, praising God, and people coming to know the Lord. Oh, church. What an incredible picture of what that early church was like. I wonder if God could do what he did again in a group of believers that really believed that God was wanting to restore his people, to call to himself or called out ones who would trust in his name and would live in this new community, loving and serving one another. Um, reading his word, worshipping him, sharing with each other like they did in Acts 2. Well, from that very beginning, 
right down the ages. The church has sought to be a witness to this new community in the world. The church has survived persecution. She survived even times when she was given such power that those who led her sought to control and oppress. She survived corruption. She survived false teaching. She survived traditionalism. And from right down through the ages, the church of Jesus Christ is still alive today. The church, uh, right through the ages, is made up of those who believe in Jesus Christ and proclaim him as Lord. Yet the New Testament shows that the church is unique uh, from any other organisation or any other identity that we know. Because if you take out one member of a cricket team, then that cricketer is not the whole cricket team. They're just one member of the cricket team. You get what I mean? The cricket team's one short, and this person over here is a cricketer, but not a cricket team unless he's back with the team. But what the Bible talks about is that the church is both universal and local, so that the local church on its own can claim all the promises of Scripture for his church. Christ is the head of the church, the local church, as we gather together here to worship and to love him and to honour him. And we're no less significant than when we're together with all the others as well. So all the promises in scriptures for his church are ours to own. He's given us gifts to be used in his body. We can worship him together as his church here. And the same is true for every other church in this region, in Victoria, in the world. So what about this local church here? In 1952, sorry about the terrible, you know, even if you had glasses, you wouldn't be able to read this. But in 1952, uh, this hit the papers and it says Wodonga District section, whatever that means. That must be the section of the paper. And they're announcing that the Baptists in Albury have felt that it would be important for a Baptist work, for a church to go on in Wodonga. And they're announcing that there will be a time coming up where they will lay the foundation stones and this is what will happen. Here's the invite for that event. Wodonga, Saturday, the 5th of April, 1952. Come for the laying of the foundation stones. This was to be our first church building, which happened over in Woodland Grove, just down near you know, Hollywood's Pizza, around that sort of area down there um, on the opposite side of the road. But that's where, where this church first began. And over the years, we have had different buildings. This was the first church up there, a building up the top. And then this is the one we're currently in, just starting to be built down here. And then this was... This just before our extensions both ways have happened. But you know what? The church is not buildings. Right through the years, so many people have gathered together, trusting in Jesus Christ, taking hold of his promises and obeying him through faith. And we have seen the church continue 
to honour him and to grow and to bear witness in this community. Many people believed that God did want to do a work here. And these are just some of the many people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, we are the church of today. We are the church of today. People down through the ages have given and served faithfully. And we are the benefits of the chapter that they wrote in the past. But this morning, church, as we gather together, I think there's a few things that we can really grasp and own. First thing is that the church is God's. And therefore, this is holy ground. I mean, if you just think for it for a moment, next to you are people that God has called to put their faith in him. The fact that I'm here, the fact that you're here, is God's work. He's been calling people to himself and we're gathered together, those who trust in Jesus Christ. And this is his work. He's been revealing himself to us. So this is holy ground. God's in the midst of us here today because he dwells in each one of us. He's promised that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. This is holy ground. Should affect the kind of way we think about the church, don't you think? The way we treat each other, the way we come to worship God, the way we gather together. God has been at work in our midst. And not only now, but we are part of a family that God has been at work in right through the very, very ages to today. It's not man-made. Someone once said to me, Jonathan, I could never be a pastor. All the politics, you know. And it just struck me. I never thought of it like that. You know... I never saw that being a pastor of a church is kind of trying to deal with all the politics. No, it's far different from that. We're the people of God and we're on a mission and God's alive and at work in each one of you. Why would we spend time arguing and debating as though we were like in politics? Let's let's acknowledge that God is, is at work amongst us. Let's let God be God as he lives and dwells within us. He's here changing hearts, changing minds, changing habits, behaviours, and he's working in our midst. And I think that truly deserves our praise, you know, that I am part of God's church. It just brings me to praise God, thank him, that he's revealed himself to me and that I've responded.
and that he's put me with others to love and to serve with. What a good God. Second thing I just want to let you know. So this is a holy place. It's not man-made. This is God's work. He's here. It's holy ground. It affects the way we treat each other. You know, it's not a politics place. It's not a thing where we just grab and do our own, you know, human things. God is in the midst of us. Second thing. You're part of God's church if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you're no longer dead, but you're alive. You're forgiven and set free. So now as you know that this is God's church and he's here in the midst of it, don't waste time criticising it. Don't spend a lot of time negatively pulling it down. Because hopefully now you're starting to realise that you can criticise me, I'm the pastor, I'm a human being. But if you criticise the church, I mean, that's a huge thing. Because God has called us all together. And I'd be very hesitant to be negatively spending a lot of time criticising or getting upset. Not not that there are people that do that a lot. But what I find is that Satan hates the church just as much as we love it. And he's out trying to destroy it. And some churches, and and we've got to be careful that we don't do that, start to focus on the minors rather than the majors. And we start to think about what suits us and what doesn't suit us or what we like and what we don't like or, or you know, what's good and what's bad. And we get into things like what translation we should read or what, you know, all we, we get into crazy things. And Satan delights in it. The living church of God becomes a fragmented discommunity <laughs> instead of those that are one in Christ should never be, should never be. So what I propose is we understand that we're the living church uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and he's called us out and we're the ones and we're the called out ones and God is here today amongst us and we should treat each other with respect that for the next five weeks that we would focus not on the negative, divisive things that Satan would love us to think about a lot, but that we would scan through the pages of the scripture and that we would see what God wants this group of people, the church, the living church to focus on and that you would join with me together to say as soon as I understand what these five things are, if I'm convinced from the scriptures that that's what God wants to do, I'm going to redirect my life wholeheartedly towards doing the very things that God has called me to do. That just makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you as well? But why would we get sidetracked on other things that God doesn't want us to do when time is so short? So over the next five weeks, this is what we're going to look at. God wants his church, the called out ones, to simply love God. We're going to be looking at that next week. How can we love him? How can we praise him, worship him, thank him? That's what a living church should be focusing on. And the week after that, we're going to look at how can we love one another? God wants his people to love one another. He's just said it time and time again that this new community should be marked by love for one another.
Then the week after that, we're going to look at that God wants his people to grow. He doesn't want us to be babes. He doesn't want us to, year after year, just be the same in our spiritual journey. He wants us to grow and become disciples of Christ, followers of him, rooted and firm. So when the troubles come and set, we stand strong. We don't, you know, we don't become those that get focused on other things rather than what God wants. Love God. He wants us to love God. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to grow. And then God wants his church to be those that serve one another. He, he took a, a towel. He said, you know, do what I've done. I've washed the disciples' feet. I want you to be servants too. He wants us to serve one another, to use the gifts that he's given us to serve one another. And finally, he wants us to serve the world. To take this message that God has built a new community based on Jesus Christ and those who believe in him are empowered by his Holy Spirit and reconnected with God the Father. And then in this new community, there's hope and there's life. He wants the world to know that. Do you know what? There is no other organisation, no other group, no other people together. There's a living God present in all those who gather and trust in Jesus. There's no other group of people except the ecclesia, the church, where God can change hearts and lives. And he calls you to be part of it. So we're the church. No wonder he calls us the bride of Christ. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, As we race through life, as pastor of this church, I want us to spend the majority of our time focusing on the things that the Bible clearly tells us to do. I want to stop us getting sidetracked. We want to stand toe-to-toe with Satan and we want to do what God's called his church to do. I think we're going to see life's transformed, Wodonga, Aubrey, noticing that God is alive and at work through his people. As we close, uh, I just think as we look together at um, what God has been doing through the church, uh, just to know that you and I will write the next chapter. Our response will make a difference for all eternity. Why don't we watch this uh, DVD together and just remind ourselves of the importance of God's wonderful church. God, we sense an awesome responsibility here as your church, your people. Lord, we know uh, lives are in the balance and yet so many people have given their lives so that others could come to know you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do all that we can to serve you as part of this local church and that we would be those that pray for the church universal. God, that we would pray for the church uh, wide and that you would do and fulfil your purposes in and through us. God, we, we just want to commit ourselves over these next five weeks to be those that un- learn and understand what you're calling us to do as your church and to be the living church that you've called us to be. And God, that you would change lives and hearts as you change our lives and hearts. 
as we depend on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you build the church. Thank you that you said you will build it. Thank you that we're part of it. And uh, we just praise you in Jesus' name as we look forward to the future together. Amen. In these last now remaining moments, we're just going to take up our final uh, offering. This is for the bushfires, and this is, uh, I can't think of a better way for us as a church to um, support those that have lost everything. So right now, if you have your um, little form and you've been able to fill that out, you can put that in. If you have your blue cards, you could put those in too. And if you have any extra cash that you would like to put into this offering as well, every bit of what's taken up now will go to the bushfire appeal. Also, we understand um, if you haven't come prepared next week, put it in an offering envelope with bushfire appeal or BAP care or whatever you'd like as well. As we come to give, let's pray. God, take these gifts, take these offerings and use them to help those suffering the most right now in Victoria, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.